That is the sound you never want to hear. It is the sound of the warning siren going off at a nuclear power plant. When you hear that sound, it means you are in the nuclear hot seat. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly podcast keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear, with an emphasis on empowering you, me, and we the people to an activist response. My name is Libby Halevi. And I produce and host this podcast because I was one mile from the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island when it happened. I know that with 104 nuclear reactors all over the U.S., plus radioactive sites and reactors around the world, whether you can hear those sirens or not, we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Today is Tuesday, January 10, 2012, day 309 since the Fukushima tragedy began on March 11th of 2011. And here is the latest nuclear news. Uh, we're going to start with a nuclear scorecard as to where we stand in the world at the end of 2011. Uh, this comes from, uh, actually from the nuclear industry itself. It's a scorecard, and in the scorecard, there are six new nuclear power reactors that were connected to the world's power grid in 2011, and 13 units were closed permanently. All but one is a direct result of the accident at Fukushima Daiichi. The six grid connections, including two units in China, one in India, Iran, and Russia, and in addition, the Chinese experimental fast reactor was also connected to the grid for the first time last July. It's expected to ramp up. If it hasn't done so, uh, it is imminent. Now, of course, the shutdowns included units one to four at Fukushima Daiichi. That's gone forever. Uh, Germany, in response to what happened at Fukushima, enforced the permanent closure of eight of its nuclear reactors. Only two reactors during this period of time began formal construction, one in Pakistan and one in India. Now, construction had been scheduled to begin on at least three new Chinese units during the year, but the country, which already has more than 25 nuclear reactors currently under construction, temporarily suspended issuing approvals for the start of construction of new nuclear plants after Fukushima. So uh, their side is up six. Our side is down 13. Um, hopefully we can continue turning that around. Moving over to Japan, uh, there's been quite a lot of seismic activity in the past week, which is uh, an issue of some concern. Um, there have been multiple reports, and I will go with the most conservative ones that I have so that there's no chance of overstating the case. On January 5, according to the U.S. Geological Survey, there were two magnitude 5.0 quakes to hit eastern Japan, one in Ibaraki and another one near Sendai. Uh, then, just today, there are reports of two magnitude 4 earthquakes 10 minutes apart, that hit just offshore at Fukushima. Uh, one was centered 25 kilometers, excuse me, 27 kilometers from the plant. That would be, I guess, somewhere around 17, 18 miles. Um, some of the quakes were reported to be felt as though they were directly underneath the nuclear plant, so there is some confusion and some question as to whether they were genuine earthquakes or perhaps they were some result of the ongoing disaster that is happening there. Note that if everything was sound and working, the plants in Fukushima are um, okay and are, are built to withstand a 7.0 earthquake, but what they have there is the very, addition, the very um, definition of not being okay. 
Also at Fukushima, uh, this news again came in today that a nuclear plant worker is in a coma after collapsing at the site. The worker was in his 60s. He is reported being in a state of cardiac and respiratory arrest. He was exposed to uh, 52 microsieverts of radiation on January 9th, and TEPCO is trying to confirm how long he has been working at nuclear plants and how much accumulated radiation dose he has been exposed to so far. Uh, Thus far, we have no further word on this. Japan, of course, hires the equivalent of undocumented workers to come in and work at the plant. So it's very hard to trace these people from plant to plant, and there's no follow-up if they leave and go elsewhere. So we honestly do not know at this point how much radiation he has or if his condition has changed. Now, on January 6th, um, there was a press conference uh, in Japan with TEPCO, and this was in part in response to a radiation spike that had been experienced, uh, including in Japan. Uh, according to the reading of environmental radioactivity levels as of January 4th, 2012, the amounts of cesium-134 and cesium-137 have increased by nearly 10 times between December 27th of last year and January 2nd of this year. That is a huge spike. The question was asked of the uh, TEPCO spokesperson at this press conference, and all the man would say is, quote, no trouble has occurred during that period, which sidebar, I think that's uh, quite an understatement. I don't think you can say there's no trouble at the four demolished nuclear power plants there, but no trouble has occurred during this period, so I suppose that the radioactive materials were blown up by something like wind, and that led to the increase, which of course raises the issue of how much more will people be facing as the wind continues to blow the dust and the ash and the other debris around. Now, further information, this is from the cutting edge of what Mother Nature has to tell us. Um, As of today, there is a large aquatic dead animal uh, floating uh, in the ocean off the coast of Japan, right across from the landfill where Tokyo Metropolitan Government has been dumping radioactive ashes. Uh, It's believed that it is a whale. This would make the second dead whale in Japan in the last uh, slightly over a week. There was a report on January 2nd from uh, Odawara uh, in uh, Kanganawa uh, Prefecture on the coast that another dead whale was washed up. Uh, Of course, we know that uh, whales have been affected by radiation from Fukushima because even as early as June 15th, there were stories of radioactive whales being caught 650 kilometers from the plant. Some Japanese are getting nervous, not because of the radiation per se, but because the March 11th earthquake was preceded by a beaching of whales. So they could be an early warning system. We don't know, but um, it's entirely likely that they were affected by the radiation. Now, there's good news and bad news coming from the Japanese government. This comes from uh, Fukushima Diary and our friend uh, Mokuzuki. Uh, the Japanese Prime Minister Noda stated that he is going to plan to take medical care to make medical care in Fukushima free for children under the age of 18. Now, this had been requested by the Fukushima local government, and it contradicts the view that the Fukushima of the Fukushima accident that radiation is not harmful to human health. So, and that it is a potential source of radiation sickness. Now. This is the first acknowledgement by the government that there might be negative effects coming from the radiation and that it might impact the children. So the good news is they're going to make medical care available. 
The bad news is that for free medical care service, the Japanese government is planning to make an interim start by 2015. Okay. And it is not announced what kind of medical care it is prepared to be providing for free as of 2015. And, of course, nothing has been mentioned between now and then. Finally, um, no, I'm going to save this one for later. So what that does is it gives us a perfect lead-in to our two guests today. I am uh, thrilled to be able to uh, introduce them. Dr. Janet Sherman specializes in internal medicine and toxicology with an emphasis on chemicals and nuclear radiation that cause illness, including cancer and birth defects. She is the author of several books and the contributing editor of Chernobyl, Consequences of the Catastrophe for People in Nature. Our other interviewee today is Joseph Mangano, He's an epidemiologist and executive director of the Radiation and Public Health Project Research Group, which is available at radiation.org. They are the co-authors of the recent report, An Unexpected Mortality Increase in the United States Following Arrival of the Radioactive Plume from Fukushima. Is there a correlation? This was published in the International Journal of Health Services in December 2011, and as you can imagine, the article has proven to be quite controversial. So today we're going to talk not only about the content of the report, but some of the responses that both uh, Joe and Janet have been dealing with. First of all, welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. It's great to have you here. First, uh, we've been covering this on the show, but for the sake of people who are listening now, briefly state the findings that you brought forward with this report. The the findings we uh, brought forth are are twofold. First of all, for the first time, we have published in a peer-reviewed scientific journal uh, information on the um, potential health risks of um, Japanese uh, radiation coming to the United States from, um, from the Fukushima disaster. And actually, not just the United States, but we're the first article in any country to look at human health effects. The second thing we looked at, of course, was as best we could to examine the information on just how much radiation reached the United States, just how much reached our um, food supply, our water, our air, and our milk. Um, And that is really what we, we focused on here. And where did you find the statistics that you used as the source for your analysis? Two sources. The information on radiation was the Environmental Protection Agency, and the information on health, namely uh, reported deaths, was the CDC, Centers for Disease Control. So it's all official federal data. How quickly after Fukushima happened did you become aware that this might be an area for, for compiling information? Well, I would say that Janet, go ahead. we we know what happened after Chernobyl, that um, people immediately uh, got sick, and there was an increase in a number of deaths immediately after Chernobyl. So we thought, well, maybe this is the same, you know, the same thing is going to happen, and we need to look at this. We know that the um, radioactive fallout went around the entire northern hemisphere and was picked up in the United States as early as six days after the uh, the meltdowns. Right, that was the radiation plume that they said was going to happen and, the, and then the officials said was not going to happen but happened anyway. Right, but then did happen. 
Right. Now, the reduction of your article and the way it pops up all over the place on uh, the Internet is that you have linked the radiation from Fukushima to 14,000 deaths in the 14 weeks after the, the, the meltdown first occurred. How accurate is that as a reduction, and how would you want us to uh, approach that number? Well, what we did, I, I know these headlines sometimes have to squish, you know, uh, a lot of words into a few words, but really what we found was that in the 14 weeks after the Japanese fall arrived here in the U.S., there were 14,000 excess deaths, or uh, the number of deaths was, was unexpectedly high by 14,000 compared to the same period a year ago. Now, we are not saying that every single one of these deaths was undisputably caused by fallout. However, we are saying this is a finding that raises a red flag and um, calls out for more research on just how much radiation got here and just what it did to our people. Now, Janet, you're a medical doctor, and I know that you that Joe is, as you've explained it to me, Joe is the one who goes into the statistics and, and, and puts that together. You're the one who deals with um, the effects on the human body. With this spike in radiation and these additional deaths that are showing up statistically, what might have been the contributing factors? I mean, was it a direct result of radiation poisoning? Was it stress on immune system? How would you interpret the range of possibilities? that this could have? I, I, I don't think it's a direct uh, effect of the radiation fallout, but it's, I think the effect is on people with compromised immune systems, particularly people who are elderly, people who've been on chemotherapy and radiation therapy, where it doesn't take much to push them over the edge. Um, and also... Um, uh, people younger than one year of age. The big concern is babies because their immune systems are not uh, fully formed and their detoxification systems are not formed. And the biggest concern is uh, the newborns uh, and uh, young babies. Has there been any information made available about, or is there any way to even find it, on uh, miscarriages that may have happened during the same period of time? I'd like to see all those data. I don't, I don't think that we have seen all of that. And a lot of miscarriages are not reported uh, because unless the baby is, you know, breathing, uh, they don't report it as a child's death. We do know that uh, that after uh, Chernobyl, there was an increase in miscarriages, uh, newborns, uh, uh, deaths, uh, low birth weight babies, and um, uh, birth defects. Mm. So, in terms of uh, comparing what's happening, what happened in the U.S. and uh, what happened most immediately after Chernobyl, how do they correlate to each other? Well, we found actually a very strong correlation. We, we, uh, the, the two founders of our group, Radiation and Public Health, Drs. Jay Gould and Ernest Sternglass, 25 years ago did a, a very similar study. I can't say this was an, an original idea. Um, it was theirs. 
and they they found in the first four months after Chernobyl, and of course the same with the same um, fallout coming across the globe and over the U.S. and into our our food and water, um, they found something like sixteen thousand five hundred uh, excess deaths in, in four months. Mm. And so far, we're, we're, we've got you know our, our estimate is about fourteen thousand uh, in fourteen weeks. Um, it's kind of in the same ballpark, and we know that the Chernobyl and Fukushima um, meltdowns are roughly comparable. No one knows exactly how much um, radiation was um, released uh, in, in either of them, actually, in, actually. but um, but we're talking in the same ballpark. So that that is another, um, I, I guess, indicator that our, our research may be onto something. Now, Janet, we spoke originally back in November uh, about the report as you had originally put it out, and at that time you were you were saying that you were going to re-release it in this journal uh, for peer review uh, with by other medical people. And uh, what was your reason for presenting this material not once but twice? And was there any difference between what you presented each time? Hello? Uh, just for Janet or me? Or me? Oh, I, 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 I said Janet, but either one of you can take this one. Janet, did you want well, to... Well, uh, we, we released the first one because we we realized that there was a a problem, and we wanted to get feedback from... We released it hoping we would get p- feedback from people to let us know, are they seeing a similar kind of thing? And then we actually got more data, much more data, and submitted the paper to what is called blind peer review. We don't know who reviewed it, who peer reviewed it, or how many people peer reviewed it, but the paper was ultimately accepted. So that the data that we originally released, because we were curious if it's, is it really true, and we were hoping to hear back from people across the country, turned out to be by using United States EPA and CDC data turned out to be that it was worse than we thought. Yeah, the problem we're working with here is that it's, in terms of the health officials of this country uh, churning out uh, health statistics, you know, uh, uh, rates of diseases and deaths, um, it's still very early. It typically takes, you know, three or four years to get final statistics on on, on mortality and, and cancer incidents and so on. Um, what we have here is the CDC every week puts out a report on reported deaths for 122 U.S. cities, which is roughly equivalent to about a quarter of the country, which is which is a pretty large sample, actually. Um, it comes out to like 600,000 deaths out of 2.4 million. Um, so, so this is what we're working with. We, we don't know causes of death except for one, pneumonia and influenza, in which we saw a, a very steep um, jump in those 14 weeks right after um, Fukushima. Um, but still, this is this is just preliminary early information. A- again, I'll repeat what I said before about this should be a, a red flag, an alarm to go off, really, um, to... Um, start planning and conducting more more detailed research. And I'd like to see our the EPA, which was conducting uh, weekly tests on radiation 
uh, fallout and then decided that quarterly was plenty good enough. I think that the EPA needs to be collecting detailed data on uh, fallout and uh, levels of radiation in foodstuffs, particularly in milk and dairy products. And um, this is not, to my knowledge, is not being done. Now, when you say that the EPA was doing weekly reports, was that before Fukushima happened or just immediately in the wake of it? Right after it happened, they were doing weekly collection and reporting the data. Then they decided that the quarterly, you know, every four months or every three months was good enough. Which, of course, is so counterintuitive. So, when you when you spoke about the um, government of Japan deciding to give free medical care for kids less under the age of 18, and to begin it in 2015, this is an opportunity to collect very very important data. But they shouldn't wait until 2015 to start this. I mean, this should be begun immediately. But I'm I'm sure that the country is in such a mess that they whether they can get it together or not, I don't know. At least it's the first time that there's been even the slightest nod towards radiation being bad and possibly having a health impact. Right. What I'd like to do now is ask you what kind of responses you have been getting to this uh, extremely high-profile report. Has it been well accepted? Have you been dealing with naysayers on it? How's it been going for the two of you? The answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> We have gotten a, a lot of support. We've also gotten uh, criticism, and we've gotten downright vicious ad hominem attacks. But uh, we're now on to looking at more data, and, and we will do everything we can to uh, follow up. Uh, and, Janet, just to, just to fine-tune that, I would say so far we, we count at least 50 media reports and, and counting. That's five, um, five zero is what you're saying. Five zero, yes, and there will be more. Um, the, the large majority have been either objective or, or supportive. There's just a, a small handful um, that are negative and uh, highly critical. And what has been the reception? We think they're influenced by, by the, uh, the nuclear industry. Mm. Uh, now, what has been the result in the medical world? Have, uh, has the information been embraced? Do you know of any further studies that have been sparked by what it is that you released? I'm not aware of any studies that have been um, released. Uh, certainly, I think that we need to be measuring the this, this cesium-137 and iodine-131 that is falling on the United States. And one of the easiest ways to do this in both Japan and here is trapping uh, feral animals such as mice, voles, and rats. I mean, these animals can be trapped, and their body levels of these um, uh, isotopes can be easily measured. But I, to my knowledge, I don't think anybody's doing it. Interesting. Well, I can compare... Com compare this to, actually, it's not a fair, 100% fair comparison, but the, the worst uh, meltdown in this country uh, was the 1979 meltdown at Three Mile Island in Pennsylvania. I was one mile away when it happened. I'm well aware of it. And I figured you would, you would bring that up. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so March 1979 was the meltdown. Um, as far as um, studies that were published in medical journals on 
actual cancer rates or disease rates or death rates near the place. The first one that ever appeared was in late 1990. That's almost 12 years after the um, after the accident. Um, before then, there were 31 articles that um, that, that addressed that addressed Three Mile Island without looking at actual statistics, and 11 of them were written on the effects of stress of Three Mile Island. Um, you could, this is not a coincidence here. You can see that there, and, and I think out of the 11, I think six or seven were, were from the same author um, in, in Pennsylvania. Um, you, you can see this is not a coincidence here. This this is a a plan here. Um, when you say this is a plan, elaborate on that a little more. Well, the, the, the plan is that if anybody goes out and uh, does does a study suggesting that uh, a meltdown may have, may have harmed people, then they can expect the professional backlash, the professional consequences for, for saying that. As a matter of, and as a matter of fact, the, the, the first studies that came out 12 years later were by a team at Columbia University. They showed that in the first five years after three miles, 64%, there was a 64% increase in cancer. And they concluded that, number one, that there was no link between the Three Mile Island accident and, and radiation and, and this big jump. And number two, that probably the, the biggest reason for this was stress. Now, um, <clears throat> you know, you, you can look at it a scientific topic many ways, but um, I, I defy anyone to, to declare that as an objective way of looking at the worst uh, accident we've had here in this country. And when you say that um, there was a 65% increase in cancer, was that in a particular geographic area or was that overall in the country? No, within 10 miles of the plant. Within, within 10, 10 miles, miles of the plant, very important. Yep, within, within the first five years after the accident compared to the prior five years. Right. Well, one never knows where funding for a study is going to come from and how it needs to be skewed in order to get it. Yep. <laughs> So on that happy note, what I'd like to do is open the lines to um, our listeners. If anybody has a question, you're going to need to unmute them. I learned a new a new command on, on uh, my program today, and it's uh, to be able to do a group mute. So you're all muted right now, but if you do have a question, hit star six. That will unmute you, and you will have the opportunity to speak directly with uh, Dr. Janet Sherman and Joseph Magnano, who are the co-authors of the uh, report on the unexpected mortality increase in the U.S. Uh, following the radioactivity from uh, Fukushima. Hi, is there somebody asking a question? Yes. I'm hearing somebody in the background. Is there is there somebody who would like to step forward and ask a question? Everybody's being shy again today. You need to unmute yourself by hitting star six. Hi, I would like to ask a question. Yes, please. Go ahead. Who's this? This is Ace. Hi, Ace. Hi. I read that the CDC um, did not agree with your results. Of course, they thought it was stress. And um, I'm wondering if you have any ideas of what else it might, you know, what way is it caused by radiation? 
Uh, the first part of your question, I'll take maybe Janet can do the second. Excuse me, just just a second. Ace, could you mute yourself between your interaction because we're getting an echo on the line. Just hit star six. Thank you. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, I have some quotes from the CDC saying that they, they disagree with our, um, I don't think our, with our methods, but with the numbers, um, but with the conclusions that it is possible that um, Fukushima um, may have contributed to the spike of 14,000 extra deaths. Janet, the sec you want to do the second part about the um, All callers are muted. Sorry about that. The main isotopes that we're concerned about are cesium-137, strontium-90, and iodine, you know, the iodines, 131, and the other iodines. And these, you know, are taken up in food. They're in the water, and, you know, that we, you know, they, anybody who's got a weakened babies without uh, fully developed uh, detoxification mechanisms are extremely vulnerable to this. And I'll throw one more thing in, and we can go on. But um, I think what the CDC's response indicates is a continuation of what the federal um, response has been to uh, radiation exposure since the beginning of the atomic age 60 or 70 years ago. And that is below a certain dose, below a certain level, um, radiation does not harm humans. Okay, well, and this one. Go except ahead, for the um, National Academy of Sciences beer report, which says there is no safe level of exposure to radiation, and every exposure to radiation, whether it's X-rays or radioisotopes, is accumulative. Yes. Well, it's been many studies. That one and and uh, studies of. of Abdominal x-rays to pregnant women, uh, bomb tests fall out from Nevada years ago, uh, workers at nuclear weapons plants, all, all with relatively low exposures have been found to be at, at, at greater risk for cancer and other diseases. But, but still, the government persists with below a certain level that they arbitrarily um, pick out, um, there, there is no harm. And that just does not stand up to the, the many scientific studies of the last half century. Thank you for that. Are there it's any all, further questions? That. Pardon? It, it's all that. I mean, radiation is harmful at any level. So if there's anybody else who has a question you'd like to ask, you can unmute yourself by hitting star six. We were having a bad echo in the background, so I muted the entire line again. And if there are no questions at this time, um, Joe, Janet, uh, what is next? Where are you going um, beyond this report uh, with the work that you're doing? I'll start, Janet. Maybe you can add if you'd like. Um, <clears throat> we're doing another article, um, a follow-up in, in this particular journal, um, in which we look at additional data um, since the original one was Submitted. We, we now have the whole year for 2011, and it actually looks like that 14,000 figure may be closer to 20,000 excess deaths. Um, we're looking at individual age groups. Um, the CDC gives six age groups. Um, we're, we're looking at um, different 
parts of the country or different cities uh, in, in the country to see what their changes were. Um, we're, we're looking more at, at pneumonia influ and influenza, the one disease for which deaths are reported. Um, and, and also we're looking more at, at prior information to see just how good this 25% um, sample is, and apparently it is it is quite good as a predictor of the final the final numbers. Um, that that's my next step. Janet, do you want to add? Well, part of this is from the medical point of view, not not necessarily from the statistical point of view. We found uh, certainly from Chernobyl, we found that not just humans were adversely affected, and so we can't just say, well, it's stress or because they want compensation, or because of the reporting requirements. But we found that both that um, wild and domestic animals, fish and birds, plants, fungi, bacteria and viruses, all were adversely affected by radiation. Not every system was studied, but every system that was studied, we found that there were um, adverse changes, and many of them were lethal. So the entire biological sphere has been affected. Uh, we uh, know that some of the studies of uh, the area around Chernobyl has shown that the, the birds uh, have lost the critical coloring, that the offspring are not surviving, that there's a decreased number of eggs laid, uh, and we've been we've also found that insects have been changed um, very shortly after exposure to radiation. You know their life lifespan is not uh, you know 25 <laughs> to you know 80 years. Their lifespan is a matter of weeks. Mm -hmm. So all systems have been adversely affected. Well, I. I have to express my admiration to both of you, first of all, for taking the actions you have and uh, having had the courage to put them out, uh, even in an atmosphere that doesn't completely support you and what you're doing, because um, we certainly do here. And uh, we need people like yourselves to give us the perspective on what has happened, what may be happening, uh, so that we can at least take some steps politically, socially, and personally in terms of our health to... Um, do what we can to uh, turn this situation around and change it. So my thanks to both of you, uh, Dr. Janet Sherman and uh, Joseph Mangano, sorry for that, um, who have been uh, the guests today on Nuclear Hot Seat. Thank you so much for participating. And thank you for all the work you're doing. Thank you. One last thing. How might we support you and your further work? What can we do for you? I think about the word to, to people that the, this is a, a serious problem and our government needs to step up and test um, food and uh, rele make these re releases of, these, of this information transparent to everybody. I, 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 and I'll throw two more in. Number one, you can visit our website, www.radiation.org, to look at <clears throat> some of the studies we've done. This is our... 28th um, peer-reviewed journal article, and also um, Fukushima is not the only nuclear plant in the world. We have many here, many of which are aging, and so, and many potential ones which the nuclear industry wants to build. 
And I think it's important that citizens become involved in demanding that before any uh, old reactor is allowed to continue operating and before any new nuclear reactor is built, we have to really come to grips and really understand what historically reactors have done to human health before making any policy decisions. And, and it's up to citizens to um, to to tell our leaders, dem demand that our leaders do this. We, we know, for instance, that 43 of the 104 nuclear power plants in the United States are the same design as the uh, Fukushima plants. These need to be, I, I think, should be shut down. And um, I hope that the citizens will get behind this and be, you know, be able to testify and to... Uh, uh, pressure the governments to, to close these plants. Well, we will do everything in our power here with this podcast uh, to support us moving in that direction. Thank you so much for the work that you are both doing. And uh, I invite you to stay on the podcast and listen to the end. We just have a little bit more, but I think you'll enjoy the information. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. And again, that was uh, Dr. Janet Sherman and Joseph Mangano. Uh, who are the co-authors of the report on mortality increase in the U.S. following the radioactive plume from Fukushima, Is There a Correlation? And we will give you further updates on that. Uh, moving back, well, I wanted to give the most time to the interview today, so we just have a few items left to go over. And uh, this one relates directly to what Dr. Sherman was saying about testing food. Uh, the European Commission, which is a branch of the European Union, has recommended to member states to monitor on a random basis for the presence of cesium-134 and cesium-137 in migratory pelagic fish, uh, which and any product, any foodstuffs that are derived thereof. Now, the fish species of relevance that they are asking to be tested are tuna, specifically albacore, bluefin, big eye, and skipjack, and billfishes, swordfish, and marlin. So on the one hand, the EU is saying we need to start testing our fish. They follow that immediately up, this is quite amusing, with a paragraph talking about there is zero risk to human consumers, I'm putting this in quotes, there is zero risk to human consumers from Pacific fish, whereas we just heard and is echoed throughout um, uh, medical people who are familiar with the information, there is no such thing as a safe dose of radiation. There is um, uh, no level uh, below which it is safe to be exposed. Um, they're trying to say that uh, e uh, the health risk of consuming one tin of tuna with contamination slightly above the limit would be the same order as smoking one cigarette. However, it is necessary to maintain consumer confidence. So they're asking for testing, but they're also asking for positive results to the testing to reassure consumers that they might as well go smoke a cigarette as um, feel like they are in danger from uh, from tuna. But, of course, we all know what the effect is of smoking repeated cigarettes. So I don't know that they picked the right analogy there. Uh, in any event, um, for the holistic health tip this week, uh, I've talked about the um, strength of or the uses of uh, coriander or cilantro. Those are the two names for it in uh, pulling heavy metals out of the body. It's a way for a very natural way to uh, do some detoxification. And considering that um, the uh, that cesium and plutonium and many of the other isotopes are based on heavy metals. Uh, cilantro is a good thing to use. 
And to that end, I have put up my very favorite recipe for uh, cilantro pesto up on the Nuclear Hot Seat website. That's nuclearhotseat.com, where you can uh, get that information. Look at it this way. It's a tasty add-on to anything that you're cooking that could be improved by a pesto. And you also might be doing your body a great deal of good by chelating out uh, heavy metals uh, with the possibility of some of them being radioactive. So uh, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm just a person who likes to take care of her own health in any way she can. For activists, of course, we have ongoing the California initiative to shut down the nuclear reactors in San Onofre and Diablo Canyon. Uh, We need signatures, over 500,000 signatures on this ballot initiative by April 16th in order to get it placed on the ballot for November of 2012. You can download copies of the petition by going to sanonofresafety.org. That's S-A-N. O-N-O-F like Frank, R-E, safety.org, and click on the California Initiative button where you will get the information. You can download copies of the petition. Um, it's available for California registered voters to sign. Uh, you keep all the signatures together as from a single county. And all it takes is seven, and you will have filled in the sheet, and you can send it into the address on the bottom. All the information is there, and It cannot be signed online. It must be hard copy. So uh, we have to go the equivalent of of analog viral to get to the number of signatures, valid signatures that we need by April 16th. Beyond that, there is an international call for events marking the first anniversary of Fukushima, which will be on Sunday, March 11th. if you are interested in putting together an event, either you as an individual or with a group, would you please drop a line to the Nuclear Hot Seat Facebook page and let me know. I'm in contact with other activists, and we would like to have a picture of what's going on around the country. Um, I'm currently involved with putting together uh, an energy healing event that will involve energy healers, um, certainly in California and hopefully beyond that. And if you have anything going, please let us know so that we can do what we can to support the people of Japan and um, put the focus on the fact that we need to get rid of this very dangerous technology. Uh, one last piece of activists, if you are looking for an easy event to put together, I have included on the NuclearHotSeat.com page information on how to book the movie The China Syndrome. Uh, to do this for public presentation, you have to have licenses and approval, and there's a small fee. But the people who do this work have already been prepped to the fact that they may be getting calls from nuclear activists, and uh, they are all set to help you get a public screening if you like. There's nothing to stop you, of course, from renting it or buying it, uh, but having it in your home, showing it in your living room to a group of friends. doesn't matter the size of the group. Just get some people together, watch this, and realize that all of the issues raised in China Syndrome are still current. That was some movie. Meanwhile, this final thought, it comes from uh, our friend uh, Mokuzuki, again, who posted it through Fukushima Diary. This has come from, comes from someone who posts under the name Survival Japan. It was posted on January 4th, and I'll just, it's a very long report, but I'll just excerpt parts of it because it gives a picture of what life is like in Japan now, uh, 10 months after Fukushima. As of January 2012, the situation is as follows. Contaminated food is spread all over Japan, down to Okinawa, the farthest islands. This is the new normal. 
A false sense of security is given by a PR campaign of radiation screening. This is the radiation screening that's done on food. About 8%, one person in 12, of mothers in Fukushima have left for good. And I believe this is about the same proportion of people who are somehow careful about their food around me. However, even less are efficient in their screening, as shown by the number of children who test positive with cesium in their urine. Radioactive waste incineration is still planned, but some scandals about its cost may derail it as the media picks up on the growing public dissension and now investigate or report about such practices after months of echoing the government propaganda. Living in Japan and facing the reality feels like being in a strange cult these days, not eating the same as everyone, and hence feeling in a kind of apartheid with, fellow, with a few fellows. Eating and drinking out is staking a few years of life, as is accepting food, drink, food or drink gifts. And making dietary exceptions feels awful, especially when children are involved. Doctors refuse to even consider the possibility of contamination wherever you live. You can read accounts of doctors saying that, quote, Japanese cannot have thyroid disorders since they eat seaweed, end quote. I would therefore recommend staying away from Japan until a revolution takes place, as Fukushima is more a nationwide political crisis than anything else these days. But we know it won't happen, so we can forget about Japan for a century. There will still be about 10% cesium left by then. Also, I recommend monitoring radiation outside of Japan, since I discovered that many places, U.S., Canada, Europe, Australia, are far from being clean from that point of view. If you live in a country with or near nuclear power plants and or uranium ore mining and or near past nuclear weapons tests, you can be sure that you've got some on your plate. Happy New Year and a brave new world. That was a post from Fukushima Diary that came from Survival Japan. So to close, this has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, January 10, 2012. You can find us and links to previous programs by going to the Facebook Nuclear Hot Seat group page. NuclearHotSeat.com is back in operation, and this week I will be updating the archive section so that you'll have access there directly to any of the previous programs. We're also up on iTunes, and you can either download an individual podcast or subscribe for free, so you never need miss a single episode, a single week of us. If you have a lead to a story or information to share or an event coming up for March 11th, join with our growing army of on-the-ground reporters around the world. Send me a message on the Facebook Nuclear Hot Seat page, and I will get back to you. This is Libby Halevi of Heartistry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating. Reminding you that we've all had our nuclear wake-up call now. Don't go back to sleep. Be safe, be well, and I will speak with you again next week. Bye-bye.